0: Good morning. You hear me? On. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. So we are in this series in Zechariah called the Return of the King. We're in chapter nine today. Just want to begin by by asking you if you've ever heard of the White Star Line of passenger vessels, the White Star Line. There were a passenger cruise company that operated between 1845 and 1934 when it merged with another company. You, You may not have heard of them, but maybe you've heard of one of their ships called the Atlantic. The Atlantic was one of those passenger ships that moved from back and forth from Europe to the United States. And on the 1st of April, 1873, it struck the rocks around Nova Scotia, Canada and sunk, 535 people were killed in the sinking of this ship. You haven't heard of that ship? Maybe you've heard of the Republic. Republic is also a white star line ship. It was a steamer. And in 1909, as it was trying to cross also the Atlantic, it actually got stuck in fog and crashed into an Italian ship. It was so bad that they had to get all the boats around to rescue. 1,500 people were rescued and they sunk another ship. So have you heard of these ships? Maybe you've heard of their most famous ship. White Star Line owned a ship called the Titanic. And in 1912, they declared they had the ship that could not be sunk. Come get on our ship. Join us. And they took off in the ocean and 1140 p.m. hit an iceberg, split the ship wide open, And just within a few hours, it was already sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Humanity is a lot like the white star line. We do evil. We see consequences for the evil we do. And then we do them again and again. And in the passage today, we're going to see God acting in justice. God dealing with humanity's sin and particularly the lost nations that were around Israel. The lost nations, they, they disturbed Israel. They persecuted them. And that's what this passage is going to be about today. So let me just begin by reading for you just a section of this passage. It's from of, of this book. It's from chapter nine, verses one to eight. It's our passage for today. We're going to call this sermon, The God of Justice. The oracle of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadracht, and Damascus is its resting place. For the Lord has an eye eye on mankind, and on all the tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also, which borders it. Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. Tyre has built herself a rampart, and heaped up silver like dust, fine gold like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions." Strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Ascalon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza too shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also, because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza. Ascalon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like the clan, like a clan in Judah, like Ekron, and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. Then I shall encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them. For now I see with my own eyes. Father, we just come to you this morning. We just ask that as we cover a very um Difficult passage with a lot of things in it, um, that you would just give me clarity of mind and thought, that you would open the hearts of the ear hearers here. God, I pray that the the main pieces that you would want us to take home today, that we could understand them and put them into practice, that we could worship you for your justice, but also for your saving love, as we're going to see, Lord. Just pray that you help me to communicate clearly. Be with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So we're going to see in this passage four four truths about God's judgment, okay? The first one's going to occur in verses 1 and 2a. I'm going to read it to you again, and then I'll explain. It's called the certainty of God's judgment. The certainty of God's judgment. The oracle of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadra and Damascus is its resting place. For, for the Lord has an eye on mankind and on all the tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also, which borders on it. The text says that the oracle of the word of the Lord. Now, an oracle is a prophetic pronouncement, right? So it says that the oracle of the word of the Lord, now catch this, is against. This should be right at the beginning telling you what this is about. God is not for them. He's against them. And so judgment is about to come. God's pronouncement of that judgment is about to happen over these people. And you ask me, how do you know, Pastor Wiley, that the judgment is certain? Well, I think this text gives us four little reasons right here in these two verses. The first one is this, that this is the word of the Lord. Why is the judgment certain? Because it's the word of the Lord. God has said that this will happen. That seems very, very easy to understand. But the Bible is filled with judgment. And we see God promising again and again, but every time people aren't ready. They don't believe it's gonna happen, right? So the certainty of this is seen in that it's the word of the Lord. The French philosopher and atheist Voltaire, he made a claim while he was alive. He was standing in something like a pulpit or a podium speaking and he said, you know, the Bible in 100 years will be a museum piece. People won't read from it, they won't use it. Do you know what happened 100 years after he gave that speech? they bought his house. That is the French Bible society bought his house and inside his house, they began to print and pass out Bibles. God's word will never fade and it'll never fall and it'll never fail. So the first thing that makes it certain is it's God's word. The second thing in this text that makes it certain is that the Lord has an eye on mankind. God sees. He watches. He observes mankind. And that's what makes these nations' punishment certain. And and not only that, but all of humanity as well. So what does it mean, Pastor Wiley, that God uh, sees all of mankind? Well, let me just take a portion of Psalm 139 and read it to you. Let the Bible itself describe what it is that God does and sees. Listen, Psalm 139 verses 2 to 4 say this, you know, David is speaking to God. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. That means God knows what you're thinking before it comes into your mind. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word, listen, before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God does not just know where we come from, when we come from, our habits, our ways of thinking. He's ahead of us. He's thinking ahead of us. He's already in your life and my life recording and seeing all of the things we've done. And He does this not just with you and I on a personal level. He does this with everyone, all of the nations, all the unbelievers, as we're going to see in this passage, their works are being recorded And this is what makes their judgment certain. Never does God punish anyone for something they didn't do. It's always just and it's always certain. And you know, Christians aren't exempt from this. God sees you and I as well. He sees the things we're doing. Did you stop and just think about that for one second? What if I had the ability to take just one day in your week and put your life on a screen and you could hear God's commentary of our life. Do you imagine that? Everything we see, everything we do, everything we touch, the desires of our heart, just lay open before God. And this is what the Bible's telling us. It makes judgment, the judgment of God certain. The third thing in this text you need to see very clearly. not only is it the Word of the Lord, not only does God see, but the sins that are being committed are against God. That's what makes judgment certain. If I go to a man on the beach that's one of those like you know muscle power lifter guys on the beach, and I just say to him, hey, uh, you know, poop, 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 I start poking him in the eye. What do you think he's going to do to me? I'm probably going to get beat up, right? What if I go up to some security guard, you know? Same thing, and I just start poking him in the eye. I'm probably, probably going to get arrested and beat up. What if I go to those like South American drug lords and start poking them in the eye? Chances are I'm probably going to die. What if I go to the God of the universe and all my sins are like poking him in the eye all day long, just asking for him to respond? See, what you don't see in the text, there's a play on words in the first two verses. It says the oracle of the word of the Lord. Do you know the word oracle is translated 20 times in the Bible, oracle. It's translated 40 times in the Bible, burden. When the Hebrews were, or, or Jewish people heard this prophecy, in their language they heard both words. The burden of the word of the Lord. The oracle of the word of the Lord. And listen to what he's saying. The burden of the word of the Lord. The burden is like God feeling all of the weight of the sins of people. Like carrying something heavy. And he wants to act. Have you ever been burdened for something you just wanted to act? God is burdened by injustice. He's burdened by sin. And it says Damascus is the resting place. The judgment of God is falling. It must rest. That burden must come to rest. And this is what the text is telling us. Our sins are against God. Do you hear me today? Are you living in a way that actually believes God sees everything you do? you actually believe that one day you're going to stand before him don't be like all of these people who go out the world go about their life and they just don't believe they just don't pay attention so those are three things the fourth thing comes when he says this god not only sees mankind but he sees all the tribes of israel Now, what you're going to see is that the nations that are going to be mentioned, Syria, Damascus, Hadrach, these are all north of Israel. Then you're going to see Tyre and Sidon. They're moving down a little bit. Then you're going to see Philistia, all these Philistine cities. They're going to be moving down farther. They all surround the nation of Israel. And they always hurt Israel. They did evil to Israel. They poked Israel in the eye. They hurt her. They besieged her. And all of these things, the people in Zechariah's time are looking and saying, God, why didn't they get destroyed like we got destroyed? Where's your justice? And God responds, I will act. Because God has a time for his justice. And the reason you doubt the certainty of God's judgment is because you see with your eyes while he sees with his eyes. You won't doubt it when you stand before him. And there'll be no words that any human being could possibly say. Because God not only sees What we do, he sees what people do to us as believers, just like he saw the nation of Israel. You know, many people struggle as Christians. They're mistreated, they're abused, they're persecuted, they're raped, they're beaten, they're enslaved. All over the world right now, the highest number of deaths for being a Christian occurs this year. You with me? That is what's going on in the world around us. And God sees it all, and He says, I'm coming but I have my time. Rest in God's protection, but also be weary what you do to others and especially God's children. Jesus speaks of the believers as children and in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, 5-7. and seven, He makes this comment. And like Jesus so often does, He goes beyond just hurting people. Listen to what He says. Whoever receives one such child... He's speaking of these believers and these children that are following Him. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Not only does God see what people do, listen, and he he absolutely acts in judgment, but just leading his children to sin is worth tying a millstone. That is these massive stones. And being thrown into the sea. Have you ever thought about you as parents? How do you lead your children? How do you lead people around you? What about the people at work? Do you join in when they make vulgar comments and jokes? And do you, do you join in and people who are obsessed with sports or or buying things or? living in comfort? Do you join in with the world around you that is leading you into sin? Listen, God is not only going to judge the sin of humanity and the world, but all the people that bring those sins will also be judged. And this is what makes it certain. The second part of the text, beginning in 2b and going on, speaks about how this began to happen. And I want to tell this story kind of together so it kind of joins these two pieces. This prophecy was actually fulfilled, I believe, in the life of Alexander The Great, that is the general and king of the Macedonians. He brought Greece over. He battled Persia in 333 BC. He defeated them on one side. He took the ocean over and he landed at the city of Tyre. He sent a smaller expeditionary force of soldiers up and they conquered Damascus, just as is written in the text right here. He kept at Tyre his main force. And we're about to read about the siege of Tyre. And listen, Listen to what the text is going to tell us. It says in uh, verse 2b-4, to Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise, Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust and fine gold like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike her down on the sea and she shall be devoured by fire. See, the first thing we see is the certainty of God's judgment. The second thing in this text we see is the surprising nature of God's judgment. This is something repeated all throughout the Bible, but it appears here in this text. Tyre and Sidon. We learned three things about this city. They were very wise. Did you know that the alphabet you and I use today is partly Phoenician? It partly comes from people in Tyre and Sidon. These people were brilliant. They were philosophers. They were engineers They were mathematicians and they were very good at it. They were so good that they built their city in two two sections. Can you imagine a city that was on the beach, very well fortified, guarded, but a kilometer into the ocean, they built a fortress on an island and into the ocean, that fortress was surrounded by walls that were 45 kilometers high and double thick. There was no way to get to it. And their wisdom and their military strength led them to be very rich. When you can win and collect money and no one can ever take it from you, you just get richer and richer and richer. And this is where we see them compared. They said they have silver like dust. I don't know about you, but dust is is common around here, everywhere. You get it get on your car every time you park. They had dust like silver. Can you imagine that? Gold like mud in the streets. They were rich. And this is what makes their judgment surprising. Listen, this prophecy is taking place somewhere around 500-510 B.C. 60 years before this, Nebuchadnezzar came and he conquers Jerusalem. But before he does it, 70 years, before he does it, he tries to take the, the nation of Tyre. And you know what he does? 13 years, he tried to take this city fortress. And he was incapable of doing it. He never took it. He finally got to the time where they both sides just got tired of fighting and they agreed to stop fighting. He never took the city. So when the Jewish people in 500 are hearing this prophecy, they're going, is it really possible that the tire can be conquered? Can it really be burned? And Alexander shows up. When he shows up, they had already evacuated the land. And as he comes, you know what he does? He takes the city of Tyre and all the broken buildings and everything. He destroys them and he begins to build a road in the ocean. And he stacks land on top of it. Seven months, all the fleets of ships, he breaks the walls down. He conquers the city and it is devoured by fire just as you see in the text. It surprised them. They didn't think it was coming. That is what the nature of judgment is like. Let me ask you a question. Are you living comfortably if you're an unbeliever here? Do you think, you know, nothing's ever going to happen to me? I'm, I'm rich, I'm smart, got a good job. This is, this is Tyre and Sidon. And Christ warns us about the end times. He warns us by comparing it to another famous period in history that is, the days of Noah. And in Matthew 24 37, Jesus says this. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. Now, what does he mean? What were the days of Noah like? Listen, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. What does it mean to eat and drink and marry and give in marriage? You know what it means? They're just living life. Nothing was going to happen to them. It was great. It was a party. And then the rain starts to fall. And you have nowhere to run. And he compares it to his return. Listen to me. God's judgment is not only certain, but it catches people by surprise. And they're not ready for it. And I plead with you this morning, be ready to meet God face to face. Be prepared. Don't let it come on you in the middle of the night unprepared. The third thing we see in the text is that there are surprising, yes, aspects of the judgment. But the third thing is that there are great consequences of judgment from God. So we see it's certain. We see that without a doubt, it is surprising. And now we see that it carries great consequences. Look with me at the story as it unfolds. Verse 5. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza too, and shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also, because its hopes are confounded. Now, you and I may not know this, but these three cities listed are three of the five Philistine cities. You may know that David fought Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. These three cities actually represent three of the cities of the Philistines. They're going to see the judgment of God fall on Tyre, and they're going to react in different ways. This actually happened historically. Ashkelon will see it and be afraid. Gaza too will writhe in anguish. Ekron will also, its hopes will be confounded. Listen, when the judgment of God falls, it comes with emotional and psychological effects. Fear, anguish and pain, confusion. And this is what they're feeling. Not only does it come with those, it actually has physical effects as well. It says, the king shall perish from Gaza. Ashkelon shall be uninhabited and a mixed people shall live in Ashdod. There's a fourth city of the Philistines. I will cut off the pride of Philistia. You say, did this happen? Yes, it happened. The road going north to south between Tyre and Egypt. You know what, what city sits in the middle of that road? Gaza. And at this time, it was the most fortified of all the cities of the Philistines. And in it said a guy named Bastus. He was the king. And when Alexander showed up, he said, I'm not going to give you this city. No way. So they sieged it for two months. And at the end, Alexander was so mad that he killed 10,000 soldiers who were defending it. He sold the other 20,000 into slavery. And he murdered Bastus the king. And just as you're reading, Gaza was without a king. And they writhed in anguish. As, As they knew it, this nation fell apart under the judgment of God. And these earthly judgments that you're seeing throughout the Bible, the the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah being rained on with, with fire and brimstone. And here we see the judgment of God falling on these nations. These earthly things, they're like echoes of a greater eternal judgment that's coming on the world. And as a pastor and a preacher, it's my job to announce this to everyone. So if you're here, listen to me. All of these things you're seeing will turn in a greater way in the end of time. Jesus talks about it and He calls it Gehenna, or the word we know commonly is hell. Just listen to a few texts from the Bible. Matthew 13.50 calls it a furnace of fire with weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see the anguish like you see in the text? It says where the worm does not die in the fire is not quenched. That is, it never. The death never ends. He says, "You will be tor- tormented in Revelation fourteen ten with, with fire and brimstone. With the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest, day and night." Verse uh, Revel- Revelation chapter twenty and verse fourteen says, "This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name is not found in the book of life, he will be thrown into the lake of fire." You say to me, Pastor Wiley. Aren't Christians just using these texts to make people afraid so that they'll convert? Isn't isn't this what Christians always get thrown at them? Let me ask you a question. Maybe you're like me. When my children were little and they got close to the burning stove, you know what I told them? Don't touch the stove because it will hurt. Nobody came to me and said, You know, you're manipulating your children. How dare you do that? You know why nobody came to me? Because they believed the reality of the stove. They saw that it actually caused pain. The problem with people is they don't believe that God will actually do what he says he will do in his word. Despite the fact that again and again he does it. And so I warn you with love for you. I don't even know who you are or where you come from. My heart burns to tell you do not go to this place. Because the judgment you see falling on this town, these towns in Philistia will fall in a much greater way. And the last piece of this passage that we see comes in verses 7 and 8. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope. This is, we've seen the certainty of God's judgment. We've seen the surprising nature of it. We've seen the consequences of it. And now we're going to take a moment to look at hope. Hope in God's judgment. Our God is so great that in the worst of times, He's still merciful. Listen to the text. I will take away its blood from its mouth, and its abominations from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. You see, when the pagans would go to their worship festivals, they would eat blood with uh, meat with blood in it, right? And God is comparing their pagan worship and their uncleanliness to meat in their teeth. And he's saying, I will purify these people. I'm going to make them my people. I'm going to bring them in. They will become a remnant of my people. They'll become like a clan of Judah. And Ekron will be like the Jebusites. Do you know what the Jebusites were? When King David came, he conquered Jerusalem. And in it were already a group of people called the Jebusites. And those that surrendered, He allowed to live there. And over time, they begin to worship God and they become just like Israelites. You didn't know the difference between a Jebusite and an Israelite. And this is what He's saying. In this judgment, some of these people are going to believe in Him. You see, God uses pain and He uses problems and He uses trials to get through hard hearts. And He breaks people and eventually... When God begins to work on them, He uses these things to bring them to Himself. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when people are going through pain around you? Do you stop and comfort them? What about when people are unbelievers and they're going through pain? What do you do? I want you to understand that God has many purposes in pain. As C.S. Lewis says, it's God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And my challenge to you is when you see it, share the gospel. Share the hope you have in God. You never know what God will do. You never know, even in the worst times that people are going through. So the first hope is that God uses judgment to to save people. But the second one is for us. It's what you probably were waiting for. It's the the one bright spot in this judgment. It comes in verse 8. Then I will encamp, God says, at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them. For now I see with my own eyes. I will encamp. You know, If you think about this judgment, it starts north of Israel and then it moves down the coastline and then it moves down the coastline again. And as this judgment is happening, one of the things that Israel may have thought is, how are these nations going to be destroyed and us not be destroyed? Right? When these judgments come, it usually sweeps everybody away. Well, the answer is actually that God himself is going to do something miraculous to protect his people. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, writes about Alexander's coming to Jerusalem. And he came outside the city. And the the high priest, who at that time, they didn't allow kings, but they allowed the high priest to sort of govern the city of Jerusalem. And in 332 B.C., he approaches close to Jerusalem. And there was a problem. The high priest had been asked earlier by Alexander, when Alexander was in Tyre, the high priest had been asked, send us some soldiers, Alexander said. But the Jews said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to get caught in your war with the Persians. And you know what? They were terrified because here comes Alexander with his entire army when they had told him no. So the high priest asked all the people in Jerusalem, Josephus says, to fast and pray. And then he put on his priestly garments. He got all of the priests to dress in white linen with him. And out they came from the city. And they began to approach Alexander. And Josephus tells this story in his Antiquities book, book 11. Alexander, when he saw the multitude at a distance in white garments, While the priest stood clothed in fine linen, and the high priest in purple and scarlet clothing with his milter on his head, having the golden plate whereon the name of God was engraved, Alexander approached by himself and he adored that name. And he first saluted the high priest. Josephus tells that Alexander said that he had a dream. Now a lot of these old historians, we don't know whether this is not the Bible, we don't know whether it's accurate or not. But he says that Alexander had a dream in which he said, I'm not supposed to attack you. And we know historically he just passed on by. He didn't even go in. And so while all the nations were being judged, God himself protected his people. And Alexander's judgment through all of these nations doesn't land on God's people. They're saved. And you know, it echoes something far greater We've been talking about the certainty of God's judgment. We're talking about the surprising nature of it. We're talking about how there are many consequences. And the hope that you have as a Christian today is that in God's judgment, you are protected by God Himself. You see, when you stand before God, it's the blood of Jesus dying on the cross that covers us. It's like God wrapping His arm around you. And the judgment can't hit you because Christ took it on Himself on the cross. And He bears our burden, that burden that God was carrying of justice, Christ bore it on the cross. He carried it. All of our sins, all of the weight, all of the punishment with blood, He carried it. And that's why you and I have confidence to go before the throne of God because we're protected, we're covered, we're saved. We're blessed. And so let me ask you this morning, do you believe in this Jesus? It's only by faith in Christ that we are covered, that we become His people, that His righteousness can cover you. And God asks this morning to you, this morning if you are here, what do you choose? Will you stand on your own under God's judgment? Or will you let God cover you from the sins that you have? You know, we opened with the story of these three ships that crashed. And I just challenge you, don't be on the next ship. Whenever that comes, don't join the world. Don't go after their things. Don't follow them, them, dear people. Love Jesus. Believe in His Word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this prophecy this morning. We thank You that Your Word is always true. We thank You that You keep it down to the details of the text. We thank you, God, for covering us, for your greatness, that you punish those, that we don't have to take vengeance on our enemies, that you're the God who will repay. And God, we ask for mercy on the nations around us. Would you save them? Would you rescue them? Would you come to us today and comfort us in the middle of our trials? Wrap your arms around us, Lord, as people are suffering from this coronavirus, Let us be reminded that death cannot separate us from Your love. God, comfort us. Come to us. Help us to be those who share in this Gospel and believe it. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.